Today's episode of Dear Old State is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Penn State tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast, and we have plenty on our minds after Penn State's dramatic win at Kinnick Stadium in Iowa last Saturday. I am Matt Brown, college football editor for The Athletic, joined as always by Audrey Snyder, who has made her triumphant return to Happy Valley after mm-hmm. a weekend of travel adventures in Iowa. But Audrey, welcome back to Pennsylvania for Whiteout Week. Fr- fresh off the plane, here I am, Matt. Uh, what a travel weekend it was for me. I got to see a bunch of different states that I didn't plan on seeing, but the important thing is, despite a fog delay, flying into Madison, spending an extra night in Cedar Rapids, I am back, and I am ready to talk some Penn State football, especially after, uh, what a wacky, wild, wonderful, It was a Penn State-Iowa game. That's what it was. It was a Penn State-Iowa game. For all the jokes, there's a lot of truth in the jokes, as we saw. A team scored 12 points. Uh, there were almost safeties. There wasn't quite a safety. There was just bizarre officiating. There was bizarre at best. Penn State averaging 4.9 yards per pass attempt. There was Nate Stanley throwing for 286 yards, but looking nothing like a quarterback who threw for 286 yards. And Penn State won. And that's actually a typical result now, too. After the dominance of Kirk Ferentz over Joe Paterno in the 2000s, Penn State has now not lost to Iowa since 2010. So... I don't know. Where do we even begin? The Nittany Lions are number seven. They're six and oh. And I feel like despite some of the ugliness, this felt like just, I don't know, you can't take many things but positives from this kind of win in this environment, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the thing that I thought was really interesting, Matt, uh, you know, being there, you just get such a good feel for the atmosphere, the environment. It was fantastic. It was everything you've come to expect from these fans at Kinnick Stadium uh, I actually took a couple laps around the field pregame because we were allowed on the field or on the sidelines. So, you know, it was just trying to get a feel for the place, watching the players warm up. Um, to give you maybe a better estimate of how tight that sideline is to the bench, like you could fit one person like walking single file behind there and, you know, your shoulder was hitting the first row of the seats, you know, while your other shoulder is brushing up against the bench. I mean, just a cool atmosphere all around. Uh but as far as the positives of the game, Matt, I thought the reaction from Penn State's players, and it's something I wrote about on The Athletic this weekend, was the way they reacted, the way James Franklin reacted and the celebrations after this, they didn't react the same way after Idaho. They didn't react the same way, way after Pitt. You know, this certainly was a big test on the road. They answered the call. Uh, and really, kudos to Blake Gilligan. I'm sure we'll get into it here, but one of his 
I hit definitely his best game of the season, one of his yes. better games um, that I can remember, and it's not often that we're talking about a punter. Penn State, Iowa, we like, always are. Come on. Yes, I was going <laughs> to say, this was like the time for him to shine, perfect perfect uh, setting for it. But, yeah, all around, big-time win for Penn State, and the reaction uh, really said it all. And, Matt, I didn't tweet it out because, you know, profanity, I like to keep it clean sometimes. <laughs> but here on the air, I know that I was told I don't have to worry about that. No one told me that, but here it goes. Uh, on the field after the game, one of the Penn State players summed it up best, and he started screaming. He goes, let's get the fuck out of Iowa. Um, <laughs> I mean, I felt the same way after spending some extra time there. Great place. Uh, but that's what you want to happen when you go in there and quiet a crowd. Get on the bus, get on the plane, get on out of there, move on to this week, and that's exactly what they're doing. You, you care about winning ugly when it's against Buffalo, even though they ended up you know, covering the point spread and winning by over 30. It was still kind of ugly, and there was a lot to talk about mm-hmm. in terms of questions and all that. You don't care about winning ugly at Iowa. This is a good Iowa defense. It is a night game. It is a tough environment for, again, a still a young Penn State offense. You know, the Maryland game, okay, that was a night game on the road. Maryland fans did show up at least for the first, like, 10 minutes of that game. But it was also half Penn State fans, or, or sorry, I should say like a quarter Penn State fans yeah. and a defense that just was not anywhere close to the caliber of Iowa's defense. So this was a, this was their first complete road test. Tough environment mm-hmm. at night, team that has a reputation for you know ruining opponents' dreams at in these types of environments, which they almost did to Penn State a couple years ago, which they did do to Ohio State um, a couple years ago. And for, you know... Penn State came out and the first quarter looked looked terrible on offense and they looked tentative, yeah. but they settled in and did what they need to do. Uh, and guys stepped up and made some big plays when they had to, you know, KJ Hamler just made something on nothing a couple times. You know, Sean Clifford did not have a great day passing, but had some really, legs, really pivotal runs. Yep. And obviously we're going to get to it. Noah Kane just showed up and, you know, looked like an NFL player. Oh, we playing. want to talk about Noah Kane, Matt? Are you sure? Uh, about you know, that? maybe next time. I don't know. I don't think anybody's thinking about him. <laughs> so it's yeah. just you know, you add all that up, and some things went didn't go their way. The officiating did not go their way several times, except rough. for you know, Shakatonia, I guess. Uh, yeah, the targeting that could, yeah they, that could have been costly this week. Yeah, but overall, sure. you know, some things did not go their way. But they won the turnover battle. They won the field position battle. They grinded out yards. They they. Uh, we talked so much about you know their problems on third down earlier this year, and mm-hmm. they did have those problems the first couple games, but they are now up to 29th and third down conversion percentage, which is probably surprising to some, and they converted 10 of 19 against Iowa. So they only had 294 total yards, but they just kind of made the plays when they had to make the plays, and you got to mm-hmm. give them credit for that in, in this type of game. Absolutely. They controlled the clock, too, which I think, you know, if, if you would look at this box score, uh, you know, and say, OK, we're not going to tell you what team's name this is, but this one had more explosive plays. We probably all would have said Penn State. No, it nope. ended up being <laughs> Iowa. You know, this team. Helped that's all Iowa's almost... offense had, which is a few explosive plays. And that was pretty much it because they could oh, run yeah. the ball. You say this team had almost, you know, 33 minutes uh, for time of possession. We probably would have said, oh, that's Iowa because, you know, that's what they're known for. That's what they came into this game being one of the top teams in the country in that regard. No, that was Penn State. I mean, it was – I think the stats were a little weird in that regard just sure. because Penn State, they weren't the explosive offense that we saw early on the prior week against Purdue. But, again, this was a great defense that they were playing against. 
But I think, Matt, there was more for them to take out of this just in terms of you found a different way to win. Yes. And, you know, that's been the, the problem. The four-minute offense. You wrote offense, about it. You wrote about it. Yeah, yep. the four-minute offense and all of these losses they've had close in, in recent years. It's, they couldn't line up and impose their will on the opponent. And what did they do in the fourth quarter? They lined up and imposed their will on a good defense. And part of that was a guy we haven't seen the past two years. That was Kane. Oh, is it time to talk about No Kane? Not, Why don't is, we? Is I feel it? like it should be near the top of the show, shouldn't it? I mean, I, I think so, Matt. I mean, we've got our, our, I don't know if we have a script today. If we do, I'm not looking at it. Um, <laughs> so I say it's, it's time for Kane. Um, so I guess let's just start here, Matt. They're on the depth chart, which I'll be honest, I peaked at the depth chart today between flights. There's still everyone listed as or at running back. But the thing is, the depth chart, if they're going to make a change, they're not going to put it on the depth chart. It's never how Penn State's done things. Really, I deem the document pretty much useless. But that being said, uh, the series for the running backs this week, it was one series for the first four guys. The week prior against Purdue, we saw Journey Brown take two series, then Ricky Slade took two, then Noah Kane took two. Well, this week it was 1-1-1. But, again, when it got to crunch time in the fourth quarter, 1-1-1 this time went out the window, and it was Kane, Kane, Kane. Yes. And I think that I was surprised earlier, Matt, on, and we'll get into this too, that, that very bizarre sequence with the touchdown that had every single, everyone had a reason to believe it was a touchdown that then was reversed. On that drive, uh, Penn State then gets the ball down at the one-yard line. That was Journey Brown's series that he was in. Um, even at the one-yard line, they kept him in, which that to me tells me they are committed to this rotation as much as they possibly can be because in my mind, and again, I'm not watching the film of practices. We're not privy to all that information. I haven't seen these guys for the last, you know, however many months they've been here. But in my mind, that would have been a Noah Kane type of play, yeah. you know, his running style, all that kind of thing. But they didn't. They went with Journey Brown. Uh, he did not score. Penn State then moves backwards, calls, all those sorts of things, settles for the field goal. But when the game's on the line, they went back to Noah Kane, which I guess, Matt, the thing I pointed out in the upon, upon further review piece that's up today on The Athletic, he didn't lose yards on any run, right? And you look at what he was able to do, churning forward for extra yards, the little spin move he had. I mean, it, it's just... That's the kind, I don't know. I mean, I'm just curious to see what can this guy do with more opportunities. I know Penn State wants to keep everybody happy, wants to keep all the backs in there. They believe in all four guys. However, um, what would happen if we saw this, you know, in the first quarter, in the second quarter? And after the game, James Franklin did say that they came into Iowa knowing that they wanted to use Noah Kane in the four-minute offense, that he was that guy. Uh, but they also he also said that, you know, the plan isn't simply to kind of play him sparingly and then use him in the fourth quarter exclusively. Like, that's not the goal here. So, again, that rotation, um, the depth chart still, based off the way they played, didn't change. Uh, so, which, I, I don't get it. Uh, James Franklin said afterward that he knew that I was going to want to talk about Noah Kane. Um, so, I guess that's become my thing, Matt. I've got a lot Who of weird things. want to talk about Noah Kane? <laughs> but it's what everybody's talking about. I mean, we're mm. sitting there in the press box watching this. And they get down to the one-yard line, and we're all sitting there, and we're looking at each other, like, what's going on here? Like, why? I don't know, Matt. Then this has been, of course, the talking point for weeks. I just, they like all four guys. They want to keep four happy. Um, and then, by the way, Ricky Slade, I don't know if anyone caught this. I meant to include it in upon further review and forgot in my sleep-deprived state. Uh, he favorited a tweet after the game that someone sent him saying that Penn State isn't using his talents properly. So... 
there you go. I mean, there you have something to kind of keep an eye on. Um, as I always say, Matt, the retweets and favorites don't lie. Well, here, here's, the, you know, I feel like in the third quarter in some of those situations we were asking ourselves, where is Noah Kane? Why isn't he getting more carries? Then it is kind of crazy to look at the end numbers. Penn State finished with 53 rushes. Yeah. You know how many of those were Devin Ford, Journey Brown, and Ricky Slade combined? 12. Less than, yeah. yeah. Four each. Devin Ford, four carries, 17 yards. Journey Brown, four carries, 16 yards. Ricky Slade, four carries, eight yards. None of them caught a pass. Mm-hmm. Sean Clifford, 16 carries, 52 yards. Again, sometimes probably leaning on a little bit too much, but it's a combination of his decision-making, the offense, what the defense is giving them. I think there's still some decision-making issues at times with Clifford, but he 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 made some pivotal plays with his feet that, that shouldn't be forgotten either. Uh, but then Noah Kane, 22 carries, 102 yards, averaged 4.6 yards per carry, which is you know decent, not spectacular in college. Didn't have a long, run longer than 12, but he didn't have a negative run. It was just consistent, consistent, consistent. He keeps driving his feet. He just isn't denied. And the you know they he won the game for him. Then he ended the game with that key third down conversion, which he could have easily been tackled at the line of scrimmage, and he and he turns into a conversion. So it's just it's strange to say that. <sighs> You know, to take pressure off of a first-year starting quarterback, the best option is a freshman running back. But it's true. It's somebody who can move the chains and put them in more manageable third-down situations, which we've seen now after those Mm -hmm. struggles earlier in the year. And that's what, you know, kind of got Clifford into trouble. It's, you know, against Pitt. It's facing constantly facing third and nine. And Kane is the guy who – here's a stat for you. He's had – of his 57 rushes this year, uh, 21 of them have picked up first downs. That is a very, very, very Good high number. rate. Good number. So yeah. he's a guy who's, who's getting them first downs, moving the chains, giving the offense some sort of foundation to build around. And we haven't even seen it really in the first quarter of a game yet. So will we see that? Yeah. We'll talk about that more, I'm sure. But he... And it's not to say the other guys aren't talented. We've seen flashes from all of them. And I know Ricky Slade's rushing numbers this year are quite frankly, bad, but we've seen flashes last year. We've seen flashes of him in the passing game. We know all these guys are talented. Noah Kane is the best all around running back that they have. And I don't think anybody's going to dispute that right now. Well, we'll see what they they come out with on Saturday. I don't think anybody associated with the team is going to dispute that right now. I should say. Yeah. And and, you know, I was asking players about it after the game. Um, You know, what's it like blocking for Noah Kane? What's, you know, what's impressed you about him? And you know, Michael Smenet basically said, this guy just gets it. You know, he understands where to run, where the holes are going to be, what he needs to do. Um, and it's just a matter of, man, this kid, from when he got to Penn State and before he got to Penn State, was so confident, was so ready, was so eager to make an impact. Uh, and he's doing that. And I just, again, I just wonder with more opportunities. And I'm not saying come out and run the guy into the ground. I mean, that's not, and if you look at his usage in high school at IMG Academy, I mean, he was the backup there to Trey Sanders. Yeah. So, you know, he's used to kind of that platoon workload. But, again, what what does it look like if he is able to get into a rhythm like we saw during that fourth quarter? Uh, and that, to me, is just something that they need to continue figuring out. Uh, because I will say, too, on Penn State's first touchdown drive, uh, Devin Ford was the back on the field. And then as it got closer to the goal line, they put Journey Brown in. And then it was Brown who had a great – blitz pickup on the touchdown to KJ Hamler. So, you know, again, good use of, of your backs. If, if you feel much better with journey Brown and protection, which presumably that's why they put him in there. Maybe they wanted to try and hit him with a pass because we've seen Brown have success with that. 
maybe that's why they went that route. But again, it worked out. So yeah, um, I, I just, I'm just concerned or not concerned, confused, more so confused than concerned, um, as to what does the number three back need to do to become not only the number two back, but the starting back. Well, maybe uh, he, maybe point, it's what he did on Saturday. I mean, we'll see. Like, But didn't we say this last week, man? Yes, was it, yes, was it our discussion? What more does he have to do? Like, I just, I don't know. I, I, don't I guess know the thing is they came out of that pit game and said on the headset that after, that after the game, they should have had Kane on the field late there. So at least they did, they did change that, that they exactly. did this time. Yeah. So at least they did make um, some changes there, but, but yeah, beyond that, um, I just think that when you get into the some of these games, you can't afford to necessarily surrender a possession. And I'm not saying that all these other backs mean that you're surrendering a possession necessarily, but you can't just kind of dance around and then say, okay, yeah, here, Noah, like here's your series because it's your turn and this is our rotation and we're sticking to it. Um, again, a little flexibility, maybe potentially more with that would be nice. But again, Matt, we don't see what they do all week. Maybe Noah Kane is terrible in practice. I don't know. I, I, I mean, doubt that's, it. I very much doubt I, it. <laughs> yeah, doubt it, but I, but I don't know. I, I think he's a freshman, and that's the thing. And But exactly. we're just seeing more and more now that he gives them the best chance to consistently succeed on offense. All of them are capable of hitting off hitting a big play. All of them are capable of producing. We've seen, you know, De- Journey Brown's had a couple of nice games. You know, Devin Ford had the long run against, against Idaho. Again, Ricky Slade has made plays from time to time, but... I think this is just an offense that need, you know, the big storyline is, can they not be so boomer bust? Can they find consistency? And I think they need that for Sean Clifford, because I think Clifford has had a very solid start to the season. He's in the top 10 nationally in pass efficiency. Importantly, he has not been throwing it to the other team. Uh, mm-hmm. He's, you know, 13 touchdowns, two interceptions, averaging 9.8 yards per attempt. But I, th- I think he's a guy who we've seen a couple times that has been maybe a little, I don't know, over anxious at the start of game, yes, a little tentative, absolutely. you know, his footwork can get sloppy. I, I think sometimes he's kind of, you know, doesn't see the whole field. And so, and that's not or unexpected. Justin Shorter, maybe. <laughs> or Justin Shorter. Yeah. He, he's a redshirt sophomore quarterback who we didn't expect to be starting until May. Um, and he's, you know, going to be up and down. And if you can find a little bit more consistent running game, that's going to help everybody and make everybody a little bit more comfortable and limit those third and longs and such. So, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. I think we also need to give a shout out to KJ Hamler, who, if you look at his numbers, yeah, seven catches, 61 yards, only 8.7 yards per catch. But that it's just the, the like four yard leaping touchdown he had uh, where he took off from <laughs> the four play. or five yard line and like surfed into the end zone and landed on his head. And also that that short throw he got that he was like looked like he was gonna get tackled for a loss and he like double juked three defenders. Yeah. On the and fire it's like, If yeah. you're wondering yeah. why he's called the human joystick, it's not some like dumb nickname that doesn't make any sense. That was the answer right there because yeah. it was just absurd. It was Saquon. And, and I think like, Matt, like when you have a guy and this was it was funny because I hopped in um, a shuttle this morning to get to, back to the airport and my shuttle driver was talking and he was saying how he used to be. Uh, one of the security people at Kinnick Stadium, and he was in charge of the visiting team and, you know, making sure they got there. And he joked, at least I think he was joking, that when Joe Paterno was there, he used to try to make them run a little bit late just because he knew that it would mess, like, piss off Joe and maybe hopefully throw him (laughs) off. But the guy said, he said to me, he said, man, who was that number one for Penn State? Because that guy was incredible. He was all over the place. So 
when you have opponents that are watching the game on TV like this guy was, and they're like, man, this guy can move, look what he does. Like, that's, you know, I mean, that that's big time. And I think the thing with KJ, and he did, he met with the media afterward, and he said he's fine, you know, after landing awkwardly, and of course he played the rest of the game. But he's not afraid to, you know, to leave his feet. He's not afraid of the consequences that come with it. I mean, despite being... Whatever his his numbers are, height, weight, whatever they put in the program versus maybe whatever they actually are, who knows, that's always uh, up for debate. But he's just a guy who's not going to quit. And he always says, and he said it countless times to the media, that, you know, they can't measure the size of my heart. And that's just the way he plays. I mean, it's so, it's just so interesting when you see a guy who's that elusive, no matter what teams are trying to do to him. And on that touchdown, Matt, I mean, he went off the line completely untouched. I mean, it was really impressive uh, when you saw what he did, just, you know, getting open. Nobody even gets yep. gets near the guy. But, again, that's somebody that no matter how many touches they get him, uh, it's seemingly never enough. But, yeah, big game from K.J. Hamler. I do think, I guess, well, I guess it's now time for the Fryermuth controversy. But I do, I am curious to see if they're going to try to consistently use Fryermuth more. Are they maybe holding back on some things? Uh he, he said that on the touchdown that, again, looked like a touchdown but was overturned, uh, Pat said that that was the same play they ran against Buffalo, where he's, you know, just flat out beats the safety, Clifford gives him a good ball, touchdown or so we all thought. But I, I just, I think there's more there, Matt, because we know Pat Fryman is a guy who certainly is going to be playing on Sundays at some point. Uh, and Penn State, again, really hasn't gotten everything going but part of that is just because you have so many guys. They only had twelve completions in this game. Yeah, kind of, it was just yeah. a it was a weird game. Which again, it's a Penn State Iowa game. They just had yeah. they kind of just did what they had to do to win. And I think you could take issue with the play calling at times. And the first quarter was just a mess. Uh, but it was just one of those games where the stats barely matter. I mean, it was just they did what they mm-hmm. needed to do to win, and and they did it. And again, it was. We'll get into it a little bit. We can talk about the defense then, but you know, it's just a, another superb defensive performance, and you know, they they are living up to their preseason building. But I first, since you talked about Fryermuth, let, let's just get into it. That officiating, oh boy, <laughs> was absolutely atrocious. I mean, it was. Yeah. I, I I follow a bunch of Iowa fans or, or, and writers on Twitter. They all agreed. Like, what on earth was hap? Like, h- how did that touchdown get overturned? It's not just okay. If that was ruled not a touchdown mm-hmm. on the field and they didn't overturn it, I might have said, you know, there's a case. I don't know if we definitively knew that Pat Fryermuth scored. I'm pretty sure he did. Like, I'm 90% sure he scored. And 99.99. If you're, if you're yeah. not sure that it should be overturned, then you don't overturn it. The call stands. That's how it goes. And this review took or forever. Or does it, Matt? <laughs> And then they yeah. come out and overturn it when there is like evidence that it was a touchdown. It's just, how are these people officiating a football game? I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I think we can yeah, overdo criticism of officiating. In this case, it was egregious. This was a touchdown blatantly stolen from Penn State in a close game. And then it ended up being, they had two other touchdowns wiped off the board by penalties on this drive, which penalties were another story in the game, but. Please just take us through what happened in the press box for everybody curious of why we haven't gotten answers. Yeah, so I'll start off by saying um, I think we knew coming into this game that John O'Neill and his crew weren't going to be getting any Christmas cards from Penn State fans, and now that definitely won't be happening. But, Matt, so 
as this play unfolds, and then they go to go to the review, and I'm thinking, okay, like scoring play, they're gonna look at it, but there's really nothing to look at. This should be quick. Let's keep this game moving. As the replay drags on, I'm like, what in the world are they looking at? Like my honestly, my first thought was maybe the replay broke. Like maybe that's why it's <laughs> We've taking seen that this happen long. before. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, okay, maybe like they just have a glitch, but then they come out and overturn it. And I'm like, I I didn't, I'm just like, okay, I got to be missing something here. There must be something obvious. Uh, the TV was way up high over my head, so I couldn't really get a great view. But then I see it on, you know, on Twitter and it starts circulating and you look at the side angle and you're like, oh my God, this is even worse. Like live to me, it looks like a touchdown. But again, the TVs are up so high above me to see a replay was difficult. So as soon as they overturned it, uh, I walked down down to another reporter and said, hey, so do we have a pool reporter or how does this work, right? Because typically, which this was a learning process for me too. So in order to have a pool reporter, there's a like a chain of command that you have to go through. So my reason is, hey, this call was egregious. We need an explanation. How do we go about getting that? So I go down and they say, well, Andrew, you're not on deadline. So kind of here's what you need to do. You need to go talk to whoa, Iowa whoa, whoa, not on deadline. Come on. I know. And I was like, don't you know, Matt's at home in State College and he needs to get some sleep. I got about so, three hours of sleep on Saturday night. So, yeah. <laughs> so while this, like while the game's unfolding, I am walking through the press box, meeting with Iowa sports information staff. I meet with the spokesman on behalf of the Big Ten officiating crew. And I had to present to the spokesman the questions that we wanted answered, we as a beat. So I'm sitting there and I said, okay, well, here are my questions, like typed out. You know, um, and again, Matt, I'll repeat the questions here. I mentioned it in upon further review, which is up today, the exhaustive piece on the athletic about everything we learned from the game. But my questions that I was hoping to have an answer from either by O'Neill uh, or Tom Kissinger, some part of that crew Kissinger, was the replay one, official. Just so yes. Yeah. Was one, what did you see on the replay? Two, what was the process for making the decision? Three, who ultimately decided the call on the field and how did they determine that Fryermuth was down short of the goal line, therefore overruling the touchdown? Very open-ended questions. Just ridiculous questions, Audrey. I mean, come on. How can you expect <sighs> I know. Absurd, right? And then I wanted to ask him a fourth about Noah Kane, but I figured I'd hold off. No. <laughs> um, so then the response that the spokesman gave me said, well, no, you can't, a- you can't ask these because it's a judgment call. No, and it's said, not a judgment call. I, I, and he's either like, well, in the end zone or he's not in the end zone. And yeah. how is that a judgment call? And so, the, so the, the three questions, the first two, the two that I said last were the two I originally presented them with, that they said, no, this is a judgment call. And I'm like, I, I'm not understanding. Like, this is insane. So then I say, okay, let me go back down to my seat, come up with another question. Meantime, you know, Matt, the game's going on. Um, let me come, come up with another question. <laughs> Because to quote one of the reporters, uh, the Penn State beat as we're walking around, they said, hey, what'd you find out? I said, well, hey, this is what they're telling me. And, you know, they're saying I can't ask these questions because it's a judgment call. <laughs> and the response from the reporter is, well, that's not good enough. And I was like, well, I know that's not good enough. I'm trying to get us an answer here. So I walked down to Scott, our Iowa writer, who does a tremendous job. And I said, Scott, I said, you've been covering this, you know, football longer, longer than I have. Is there a question here that I'm missing? Like, is there, you know, a big elephant in the room that somehow we can phrase this to get them to talk about it? And Scott was the one who said, hey, just ask him simply, what did you see on the replay? So then I went back up, had to meet with the sports information director. They had to go get the spokesman again out of the replay booth to come and talk to me in the press box. And I said, hey, this is the question. He goes, 
yes, sorry, no, it's a judgment call. We can't answer that either. So none of us got any answers off of this. Uh, James Franklin afterward, I mean, he was ready to just light it up, but of course didn't want Again, to get to fined from the Big Ten. Penn State had eight penalties to Iowa's one. And yeah. not, that's not to say that Penn State's, some of penalties, Penn State's penalties weren't deserved. There were some holdings, whatever. There were a couple, though. There was a phantom defensive holding on John Reed that nobody seemed to understand what it was or where it happened. Maybe it actually happened. Maybe there wasn't a good angle. But there were a couple fishy ones, and then Iowa had one penalty for five yards. And when you combine that with the just egregiously terrible, obviously terrible replay overturn, it just raises questions like, you know, what are we doing here? I mean, there's bad officiating in every, you know, or officiating mistakes in every game. This game, it just was, it just made no sense. I mean, I, I don't understand, and we can't get any answers, too, which is a problem. Yes. And I mean, Franklin's opening statement after the game was dripping with sarcasm. And as someone who's very sarcastic, that's me, uh, can totally appreciate that. I thought it was funny. Uh, and his quote was, the thing that was really interesting was we're one of the least penalized teams in the country. Right. And we come in here tonight and it didn't necessarily play out that way. Um, that's I'll a great that. pro way to phrase that to not get in trouble. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and then, you know, he was asked specifically about the fire move play and, and the overturn. And, and, uh, it was funny. He's like looking straight ahead and he's smiling and he's like, I want to do it. I really <laughs> want to do it, but I can't. And, you know, and it's just like Pat Fryermuth uh, comes in the media room and we can actually hear him getting coached up in the hallway outside of the media room of like, Hey, you're going to get asked about this. Like, you know, basically don't say anything kind of deal. And Fryermuth just said like, Hey, you know, like it stinks, whatever. We got the win. I'm happy with the win. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the guy was robbed of a touchdown. I just, I don't know, Matt, if you're the big 10, where do you go from here? And you look at John O'Neill's, I guess call it his resume against Penn state. And I mean, the Matt Lehman fumble from Nebraska, yeah, nobody wants to be conspiracy theories with refs. Cause usually it's just nonsense. Right. Like, come on. But there is a pattern here of just egregious calls. It's like, just it's... bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I just don't know how the Big Ten can say, hey, we're okay with this because, I mean, they they were getting torn up on TV too. I mean, keep that in mind. This wasn't like this was some noon game where there were a million other games going on that people didn't see it. Like, this is you, this is your brand out there in front of everyone. And when the replay officials, you know, the rules experts, these people, when they're, when they're saying, wow, that was terrible, that's a problem. And that's, that's bad for the Big Ten. Um, so I'm curious, I guess, if Penn State, you know, submits this to the chain of command. Again, Matt, had Penn Audrey, State lost this game. Audrey, it was a judgment call. I mean, come on. I, I mean, I guess I just now ask a lot of judgment call questions. I mean, I just I just think that something has to be rectified here because, Matt, had this call gone the other way, whew, boy, you know, if, if Penn State – or I'm sorry, had this game gone the other way, yeah. Penn State loses. I, I mean, you're talking about the call of the year – I just, you can't, I mean, I thought, man, the whole purpose of replay in sports was that you'd get it right because bang, bang calls, you know, those types of calls, we want to be as accurate as possible. Well, why do you even have it? I mean, I just, you're literally I, I overturning correct calls, which that's, that's what happened. So, yeah. And... So meanwhile, Rob Windsor was blowing up and I'm chasing down people in the press box asking about judgment calls. That's so. a good, that's a good transition. Everybody, yep. we, we've 
had our fun with the the judgment calls of the officials we do need to find a little bit of sliver of time to say how about rob windsor just we're used to you know iowa has some interior offensive line problems so i get it but i mean he just made them look like a mac team i mean (laughs) penn state dominated the line of scrimmage iowa had 30 carries uh for 70 yards rushing it's not just you know nate stanley have okay nate stanley had six rushes for for negative five yards including sacks but Tyler Goodson, leading rusher, had eight carries for 35 yards with one 29-yard run in which Michael Parsons missed a tackle. It happens. They they had one. He's they basically they had they had one running play basically. They, you know, they had, yeah. Torn Young had seven carries, 22 yards, including a nine-yard rush. Kai Sargent had nine carries, 18 yards. This is a pattern for Penn State's defense. They have given up. They stopped the run. Yep. They have given up 323 rushing yards on 203 carries, again, including sacks, which their sack number is high. But it's not just sacks. They're not giving up anything on the ground. 1.59 yards per rush, which leads the nation. The defensive line is just getting the job done. They are second in the country in sacks per game. Um, they're right up there in tackles for loss per game as well. They're third. So it's, you know, Yator Gross Matos played a great game, made some big plays. PJ Mustafer made a great play, which he was also not really blocked, but made a great play. Yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah, so, somebody blew an assignment there. PJ Mustafer untouched. And, and Windsor looked like he did in the Wisconsin game last year, where he just, you know, was just dominated. And he had two and a half tackles He's for a loss. Midwest guy, Matt. Midwest quarterback. guy playing he Midwest hit, teams. He hit, this, he hit Stanley on the big interception by Jaquan Brisker. So just, you know... Yeah, they got beat a couple times in the secondary, you know, with with Reed and Castro Fields. Iowa's receivers made a couple nice plays, but overall, what more can you ask for? (laughs) Twelve points. I mean, Matt, this defense is just tremendous, and you know, it's they're fun to watch. And you you look at what they're able to do to teams, and just how uncomfortable they've been making opponents. I mean, it's a confident group. It's a fun group. Uh, The Rob Windsor with Holly Rowe on the field after the game was hilarious. Uh, if you haven't caught that, uh, he didn't know like where to look at the camera <laughs> and gave some like really short answers. Uh, he's just, as PJ Mustafer, I asked him after the game, like, hey, can you just kind of describe Rob's personality to us? Because when he's around us, at least, like you can tell he definitely has that like fun-loving, goofy side to him. And HBO certainly showed that as he ate those three pieces of fish last week. Uh, and we did confirm he did not eat the bread with that. That was a question that was brought up post-game. But I don't know, maybe now he's going to have to eat three pieces of fish every week. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, Mustafa said he's like, you just never really know what you're going to get from Rob in terms of like, he's just this crazy, energetic, intense, you know, individual. And and I thought it was interesting what he said during the interview with Holly Rowe, which was, you know, he didn't think his technique was where it needed to be. And one of the things his teammates said after the game, Cam Brown said, he said like, tonight, this was like the Rob Windsor of old. Like this was... You know, so I'm just, I'm wondering what types of adjustments he's made, uh, kind of some little more details on that, because they've been tremendous. And, you know, the question coming into this year, again, was, yes, they thought the defensive ends would be a strength of this team, but nobody was really sure about the tackles. And, yep. you know, they've really answered answered that call. And you always talk about defenses and, you know, they should be built, James Franklin always compares to a baseball team, they should be built up the middle. Um, and you know, you're, you're getting those kinds of big time plays really from everybody on this, you know, on this defense. I mean, Tariq Castro fields did give up the one, uh, the one big play where he appeared to slip and, and the one reception, but, um, all in all, Matt, this defense probably met 
maybe is exceeding our preseason expert. I mean, we knew they were going to be Here's really why good. I'm going to say it's exceeded it, because we have the staff okay. from Elias Sports Bureau, Bureau tweeted on Saturday night. Penn State is the first FBS team to allow no more than 13 points in each of its first six games since Louisville in 2013. So six years since somebody has done this. It's not quite Wisconsin, which has four shutouts in six games. <laughs> Wild, yeah. But Penn State has not given up more than 13 points in a game. Uh, that's – it's remarkable. I mean – I know they haven't played the greatest offenses this year, but you know, Hey, Maryland did score 60 points in a game and then scored zero against Penn state. So, you know, you got, you got to play in front of you. Exactly. Yep. And they are doing that. They are making big defensive plays when they need to make them. And it bodes well going forward. I mean, we'll talk about it more later this week, but Michigan, not the greatest offense this year, Michigan state, not the greatest yeah. offense. So, you know, Minnesota has some, some skill talent actually, but, I mean, beyond so you're, the... You're, you're questioning Josh Gaddis's offense right now, Matt? I am. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone is. the season. So, and I will say, it came up post-game. Um, KJ Hamler was asked, he'd mentioned something about, you know, this week, Michigan. Uh, and he was asked about, hey, something along the lines of, you know, what do you remember of your relationship with Josh Gaddis? Uh, <laughs> KJ Hamler, without missing a beat, said, yeah, like, n- next question. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, KJ, we did get, got the media list today. Uh, he's not meeting with the media this week, which, again, they rotate these things. So, and he talks um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, so kind of not a surprise. We will hear from Blake Gillikin this week, which I thought uh, – yeah, They, thought they he pinned had Iowa right five game. times inside the 20-yard line, including the – what do you have, a 60-some yard punt? 62-yarder. So there yeah. you go. So big game for him, especially after and, and the special teams like- mistakes last week. They, they had a nice night. Oh, yeah, and it looked like he, you know, he definitely got, like, hit on the one and, and was yeah. appeared to be hurt a little bit, but then came back, um, you know, looked great. So I, I think maybe if this is the return of Gillikin of old, I mean, and we've seen it, Matt, and this is something that I would have to talk to someone um, specifically about special teams about this, but we've seen Blake with some of these rugby-style kicks, and it just didn't look like he had gotten – into the rhythm of what we'd expected to see from him. And I just wonder if that style, that approach maybe had changed some things a little bit. I mean, he was back to kind of his, his normal ways against Iowa. Um, and I don't know what kind of what changed because we didn't get a chance um, to talk to him after the game. So we'll hear from him Wednesday night. Uh, so curious about that. Uh, also, Matt, this week, what will we be looking at? What will we be keeping an eye on? Well, because we're recording this later Monday night, um, we can say that Michigan State, when Penn State plays Michigan State, that game's going to kick at 3.30. Uh, so there's that coming out. College game day is coming to town this week, which usually brings this whole other circus with it. Uh, so I haven't seen, Matt, did you see, have they announced where game day is going to be from yet? Is it going to be Old Main or elsewhere? I don't know. As of Monday night, I have not seen the specifics yet. But they will okay, be somewhere so in the vicinity <laughs> of Penn State. On you know, maybe on they'll do Saturday it at morning. the field. Maybe that'll uh, well. Maybe that do it there. seems to be the popular thing now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, I mean, that's going to be interesting. Uh, Penn State. One of the things I noticed uh, when I went back and looked at my notes, the number of true freshmen they took on the travel roster. There were fourteen of them, which is two more than they had for Maryland. For those of you keeping track at home, unless maybe that's just me. But uh, one of the things Marquise Wilson continued playing on the kick coverage routine, kick coverage team, so he's now played in three games this year. Uh, so I'm curious. He's played in the last two. Maybe that's all we see from him, or maybe we see more. Uh, we'll have to see. But yeah, Matt. I mean, undoubtedly, big game, whiteout this week. 
lot of writing to get to, a lot of questions to ask, a lot of things to figure out about these running backs, about this rotation, um, about what does the next step for this defense look like, because my gosh, they look insanely good. But Penn State, 6-0, and Matt. I mean... Some idiot picked him to go eight and four uh, ahead of the season. So <laughs> it's going to have to be a pretty she, bad second half yeah, now for that yeah, to happen. Yeah, she must have really <laughs> been uh, been having a bad day or something. So well, we shall see. That's we will be back on Thursday to preview the biggest home game of the season, at least for Penn State. Number sixteen, Michigan, will be at number seven, Penn State, on Saturday night, seven thirty, ABC College Game Day, also in town. Whiteout. It's what more could you want from a college football game in, in the middle of October? Uh, so we, uh, for it to start at noon, but that's just me. Well, you know, you win some. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> so that will do it. This. Thank you for listening to Dear Old State. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes wherever you listen to your podcast, and please subscribe to the Athletic because we will be back on Thursday with our Penn State Michigan preview for Athletic subscribers only. The podcast can be heard on the Athletic's wonderful app. So thank you to Audrey. Thank you to all of our listeners. We will be back Thursday. Thanks a lot.